when you are asked to serve and are elected and ordained, you are really being asked to serve a particular congregation, and that should be the center of your focus. Hello, everyone. This is Danny Olinger of the Christian Education Committee in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And to talk about service of the ruling elder in the church, I'm joined today by one of my dearest friends in the Lord. David Winslow Jr. has served the last 40 years as a ruling elder at once was uh, Garden Grove OPC in Garden Grove, California, but for the past 23 years has been Westminster OPC in Westminster, California. Uh, For the past 32 years, David has served on the Committee on Christian Education. And in 1996, at the 63rd General Assembly, he was bestowed the honor of moderator. Uh, There's so much more I could say about David, but I would be amiss if I I didn't mention his family uh, that is as dear to me as he is, Uh, his wife, Susan, uh, his daughters, Kathleen and Marcy, and four members of his family that I haven't met yet in person, his son-in-law, Matthew, and three grandsons. Uh, Welcome, David. Thank you, Danny. It's good to be with you this afternoon. Thank I you. And, uh, our discussion. Oh, I do too. You're one of the first people I thought of in in interviewing because of your service in the church uh, as a ruling elder. So how did you become a ruling elder? Did uh, someone tap you on the shoulder? Uh, how, how did that come about? Pastor Bill Warren uh, both ordained me as a deacon in 1980 and then in 1982 uh, encouraged me to consider the office of ruling elder, and I was ordained in February of 1982. So when you joined the session at Garden Grove, how many members were on that session? There were uh, four of us. There were, there were uh, three uh, quite a bit older gentlemen who had been in the church for 25 years. Did they take you under uh, their wing uh, in regard to showing you the ropes of what it meant to be a ruling elder? No, they didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it was it, um, they. They did set a wonderful example, and it showed me that you didn't have to be the brightest candle in the room. That that I really needed to respect a man who worked with plexiglass in aerospace, a mm-hmm. carpenter, and a retired sales representative, which is what I am now too—a retired sales representative, but. Those dear brothers loved the church and were willing to vote yes and no on decisions that had to be made in the life of the congregation. My very first duty was to be handed papers to serve to a young man in the church who was accused of being a homosexual. And I was the guy that had to go and find him at his shoe store and say, here, here are the charges you're requested to come to a meeting. So it was a baptism. (laughs) Wow. Did, did that end up being a trial? It did. A trial in absentia. Wow. And insisted he was a Christian and uh, would not come for discipline. And we insisted he was not a Christian and we excommunicated him. Wow. That must have been a, a wake up call. The, 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 just the awesome responsibility of being a shepherd uh, in the church, of being an elder in the church and uh, the weight of uh of serving the lord according to his word i i i know when i was a young uh ordained minister that really struck me that i wasn't in seminary anymore when you get to your first trial 
Right. So from the session, it appears that uh, you represented the, the session often at Presbytery, even as a young man, uh, became involved in the Presbytery of Southern California. So, Danny, my introduction to the Presbytery of Southern California was through my first OP pastor, Edwards Elliott. And uh, we were recommended to the church by one of his former interns, Chuck McElhenney, and uh, just the importance of good references, pastoral references for the next place you should go. Chuck McElhenney said, as we moved from San Francisco to Southern California, you should go to the Garden Grove Church and meet Ed Elliott. And we took a three-day cruise down the coast, borrowed a car when we arrived in Newport Beach, and drove to an appointment with Ed Elliott. And we walked out of that meeting and looked at each other and said, that's going to be our new church home. And it has been since 1977. Mr. Elliott had me profess my faith for the first time in my life three months later. And immediately he was inviting me to go to Presbytery meetings with him. My job allowed me some flexibility and he he just he interested me in the life of the regional church before I was even ordained as a deacon or an elder. And I would go with him and sit and listen in. And I I even made my first speech at Presbytery as a non-ordained man. I was concerned about Barney the Clown, who had taught at a Sunday school seminar that had been put on by our Christian Education Committee, and Barney the Clown was straight Arminian, and I was concerned about that. Was it uh, at that time that you, you met Mac Laurie, uh, ruling elder at Goleta, our OPC in Goleta? Yes, I met Mac before I was ordained. I was at a Presbytery meeting, and we had just served as counselors at a, at a youth camp, and we explained to Mac that it was not the most edifying experience for us. And he said, consider trying a wilderness trip, get the young people out of their comfort zone and into the mountains where they depend on you and on each other. And you may be able to do some amazing ministry. So that got us started in that 42 years ago or so. And and that led to the reason why I asked, I I have had the privilege to go on four of those trips uh, with you, David. And and I know that that was a, a way into your being a ruling elder and a member at, at uh, uh, Westminster Church now to be engaged with the youth of the Presbytery. There was a, a, a it was the way in which you could serve the Presbytery and helping the youth and trying to think in terms. Not every Presbytery has a mountain range like the Sierras, but trying to think in terms of of how, as a ruling elder, not just a minister, but a ruling elder, you can be involved in others' lives, even outside your local congregation. And I, I just know that it, I think I could safely say, impacted you and your family as much as it's impacted those of us who have participated and just uh, felt so very blessed. Well, Danny, uh, right from the get-go, the Youth Committee expressed interest And it was clear to me that reporting to the youth committee on this activity was going to be a key component. It was going to be an activity done in the Presbytery and for the Presbytery and encouraged by this group of uh, men that included Raleigh Keller and Dwight Poundstone, uh, these senior citizens who were 
interested in youth ministry, that was very helpful to me to see Presbyterianism in action. When you would uh, prepare for a trip, it would start months in advance, wouldn't it? How would you communicate to let others in the church know and the press trade know that you're going to have this trip and and what should be done? Uh, How would that take place? So, Danny, the second year, the, the, the third year we ran the trip, I was already a ruling elder, and I was on the youth committee, and I was helping with youth camps. So it just made a lot of sense to alert the churches of the Presbytery to this opportunity for a unique wilderness experience and to share that with the young people at winter camps. It was very natural to do all of that. And the mission trips that uh, came up at the same time, sort of a number of areas where it was very easy to serve and to love the young people and encourage them to grow in their life as reformed young people. And in that, I know that during these years, you've also taken the youth or been with the youth on short-term mission trips to various places. First, uh, uh, wasn't it down with David Crum first in in, um, Mexico? Right. Um, The youth committee organized something called Team Baja. Um, in 1987. And I, and so that, that was the beginning of youth ministry that was open to the entire denomination. A number of churches from Alaska and the Midwest really were blessed by serving on Team Baja. And then out of that, uh, David Nakla, before he uh, took on the role as short-term missions coordinator, was also on our youth committee. And it was uh, David who encouraged us to begin overseas teams about uh, 15 years ago. That's great. Um, what It strikes me that um, the unique acts aspect uh, of the fact that as a ruling elder, um, you're there, you're living there um, and uh, are engaged in that congregation and have been since 1977. Ministers, although we do have longer pastorage today than we used to have in the past, uh, ministers receive calls and they come into an area and then we often accept calls and go elsewhere. I've had four different calls uh, in in my time as a minister, but to have a ruling elder to have that continuity in, in that service, I think uh, is something I think uh, is really uh, somewhat invaluable. Well, Danny, I would like to encourage my fellow ruling elders to think about the fact that when you are asked to serve and are elected and ordained, you are really being asked to serve a particular congregation, and that should be the center of your focus. And it's very possible you should not be moving away from that central point until it's very obvious the Lord is calling you to move elsewhere. It's not that there haven't been times of difficulty in the congregation or with uh, the pastors that I've served with, but I've just felt that this call to serve, and we have term service, so Every three years, that, that in a sense, that call is ratified and reconfirmed. It's kept me from moving elsewhere. It's reminded mm-hmm. me constantly to stay focused on the Westminster Church where the Lord has placed me. Well, for the past uh, 18 years, I've had the privilege of serving with you on the Committee on Christian Education. And I know that Christian education is important to you, even apart from your service on the committee. In regard to um, the value and the lasting impact of catechizing, uh, that we catechize our children. As a ruling elder, 
uh, how how can we help promote catechizing in our churches and 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 really help our families uh, to see what a, a wonderful blessing it is to have the children being raised in such a way as they they have the catechism at their fingertips. Well, we have to set the example ourselves. I'm sorry to say that in my circle, I can see that I'm one of the few elders that has children who memorize the catechisms. My daughter is a principal and a teacher at a Christian school, and she is teaching the catechism day by day by day at her school. She really values the fact that as a as a uh, middle school student, she had to have the shorter catechism memorized. So, so one of the things that we have done in the past at our church is make time for catechism. Uh, COVID interrupted that. But every Sunday morning prior to that, we would have catechism memory time that included the children and could include the adults. And Danny, uh, one of the great practitioners of that was a church that uh, you grew in your Reformed understanding. It was the church that uh, Pastor Charlie Dennison pastored where the entire congregation was catechized before going to their discipleship Sunday school classes. And because of General Assembly and, and the fact that it was held near Swickley, that was a great example for the commissioners who would come on that particular Sunday to see a congregation catechized. I don't know that I've seen another example quite as thorough and edifying as that example. Yeah, that brings back more memories of those catechism books and Charlie standing up front and calling upon um, the uh, the children and just everyone was just so the smiles when a child would recite and even the child would know, you know, that how encouraged everyone was that. Um, but I don't know if you recall this, but I can remember being with you in 1995. We were heading uh, to the Sierras and we had gotten up to the mountains and we were on some very, very bad roads. And you were actually kind of encouraged that the roads weren't better because it keeps it, it kept the traffic down. But the time, so I'm worrying like if we're going to go over the, the edge of the side or whatever, and you're asking catechism questions to those of us in the truck as we're going along. And it gave me a sense of, uh, of what you did with, uh, with Kathleen and Marcy would ask them catechism questions. I thought that was a wonderful example of how to use the time. And it was, and, uh, and uh, it was, uh, it was something that, that stuck with me. We were part of oversight for a mission work about 30 minutes South of us uh, for a time uh, in Mission Viejo. And that 25 to 30 minutes, we discovered that we could get through the entire shorter catechism if they knew their answers just like that. So wow. um, that was a four-year period of commuting, and they, the answers got faster and faster and faster. And it was a challenge that we kind of enjoyed as a family. It was really worthwhile. Oh, that's so that's so wonderful. And it actually, and, you know, uh, and that gives us a uh, a good bridge uh, to another aspect of being a ruling elder and being engaged as, uh, in the oversight and help with other mission works that are connected uh, to the church. And I know that I have uh, I've traveled with you uh, to various mission works uh, on the Lord's Day. And uh, perhaps you could talk about that, because I know that uh, uh, some rolling elders uh, 
um, understandably believe their, their time commitments are so squeezed to begin with. But I do believe there's a blessing to be found in, in when you do have the opportunity and others need help in missions to pitch in and try to try to help. Well, Danny, um, we worship, we edify, but the third part of our service as a church is uh, spreading the gospel. So it's important for the elders to set an example there and to be uh, helpful in that regard. And church planting is at the heart of evangelizing. It's another preaching point where the word is being spread and Christianity is being exemplified. So I'm just thankful for the three pastors I've served under, um, B.J. Gorell and Bill Warren and Edwards Elliott. All of them were interested in the mission works of the Presbytery. And our session as a whole has encouraged members of the session to serve. And it's also broadening because you're working with a different minister whose preaching approach will be slightly different than your own pastor, whose sense of priorities might be slightly different. And that helps you as a servant see that there are more than one way to get to the end goal of establishing uh, people in the faith. So I, I found that it helped me as an elder to to uh, think of the breadth of the OPC, even if my views are much narrower, but to realize there's breadth that I should hold with brotherly charity and try to learn from. So when you help uh, with the oversight of these mission works, does that also mean additional session meetings uh, with the, the mission work, or does that take place? Did that typically take place under the Westminster Church umbrella? There was a, a time when Westminster had five mission works. Wow. We had 17 men on the session. So in a way that was efficiency personified, although the meetings would be long, we were handling five different groups. But uh, I did serve for 10 years at a mission work up in the mountains, and that mission work was under the oversight of the presbytery and had an overseeing session on which I served. And therefore, yes, it, it meant extra home visits and extra session meetings. And Danny, the Lord gave me a job being self-employed where I could weigh and consider where the balance of my time ought to be. And a very supportive wife, very <laughs> eager. My daughter just told me today that she would like to go to an installation service. I am headed to the eastern side of the presbytery to an ordination service, and she wants to go to an installation service. And I said, that's interesting. Why would you like to go to this one? She said, because, Dad, that's the way you raised us. We do oh. the Presbyterian things, and I like that idea, and I would like to go and see the the place where Craig Troxell is going to be installed as an associate pastor. So that was very heartwarming to hear from my uh, daughter. Oh, that's so, that's so, uh, yeah, so encouraging. Uh, now you did mention uh, uh, there the fact that um, as a ruling elder visiting people and, you know, the extra visits to the mission work, but just, I know that that's always been a passion of yours to encourage home visitation among, um, you know, that it's just not the pastor that does this, but the session as a whole gets involved in home visitation. How did you come to that conviction? Was it something for Mr. Elliot or just uh, how, how did that, how is that stirred up in you? I think uh, G.I. Williamson is a mm -hmm. brother who 
uh, really helped me see that by his own personal conviction, by his uh, publishing the book by P.Y.D. Young. Yeah. So he was very helpful. Bill Warren thought it was very important to do home visits. We once got chastised by him in a difficult moment in the congregational life because we had been failing to do our visits. And he looked at us and said, you men are my eyes and ears in the congregation, and you have let me down. Wow. That was (laughs) – so, Danny, I I had the privilege with you to do two elder training seminars in two different presbyteries. And prior to that, I surveyed the ministers who wanted to share what were the two most important things that they would like to – hear their elders, see their elders instructed in home visits was far and away the number one area where they would like to see improvements in their elders ministry uh, in the local congregation. Personal, careful, thoughtful contact with the people of God, gentle private admonitions that might be necessary that don't need to come to the session, but that the elders would do. I'm impressed that if we as ruling elders would look at the chapter in the form of government, I believe it's chapter 10, but if you if you look at the verbs associated with the ruling elders' work in the church, you see that they all revolve around personal contact with the members of the congregation. And mm. And so visiting, that all fits around what an elder is supposed to do. Make sure that you do your visiting and these other things that outline your responsibility will begin to take care of themselves. G.I. got you um, to write an article on home visitation. And one of the things that that stuck with me uh, from that article, which appeared in 1998, I believe, an ordained servant, was how to ask questions concerning preaching what you should ask compared to what you shouldn't ask. Maybe if, if you could, could elaborate upon that a little bit. A home visit's not a time to criticize your pastor. So, And it's not a time for the elders to join in in that criticism, whatever their private critique might be. It is not a time to share that with your congregants. You should be asking questions that uh, are not yes and no answers you would like to hear a congregant explain. So you want to you want to frame your questions in a way that are not yes and no, and and make sure that there are limits to that. The United Reformed Church has uh, published a book that has many many good entries in it. I believe it's called "Call to Serve," mm-hmm. and um, there are a couple of excellent chapters on the home visit. Derek Vandermeulen, a, a brother that you and I know very well from the Trinity Psalter Hymnal wrote uh, a chapter on home visits and some of the do's and don'ts. And I would encourage my elders to read that so that they don't fall into the pit of allowing members to criticize their pastor's preaching. I'm trying to remember how you phrased it in the article. I'm going to get it wrong, but it's don't ask them, do you like the preaching? (laughs) But rather it's like, uh, how are you growing or Yes. Um, are you growing? Yeah. Yes. Um, are you growing? Yes. That will be, are you growing is going to be a yes or no, but how are you growing is going to require some amplification on it. 
people will call up here and they'll ask, uh, what is the official position of the OPC? And I'll, I'll tell them, well, the OPC is bound by the word of God and the standards, but we don't we don't have a, official positions per se. Pastor Warren said, you're in it together. And eyes and ears, and, and, and we serve in a way in which we complement the offices and the gifts uh, that are given. I don't know, was I imagining things from way back when, or but I, uh, but I do recall that in the back of my mind, Charlie saying that uh, uh, during that time. Well, actually, it was another uh, uh, fellow minister, Jack Smith, who uh-huh. asked me whether I had given thought. To, he was one of our associate pastors in a mission work, given thought. And I was able to tell him, Jack, I'm a college dropout. I don't like writing papers. Writing a sermon is very close to writing a really good paper. And I just do not see myself going back to college and finishing and then going to seminary and writing papers. I would rather, I would rather help govern the church and produce a good income so that I can support the church with tithes and offerings that enable real good ministry to go forward. And uh, Danny, I agree with you. I do see other men who aspire to be ministers who do not appear to me to be cut out. And I think uh, age is part of a factor. You just, you realize that maybe the course that the Lord has plotted for you and unfolded for you doesn't call upon you now with your wisdom and your free time to go and become a minister, but to be a better ruling elder, to, to live sacrificially for your people and I'm of the opinion, and I could be wrong, uh, our statistician doesn't agree with me, but I'm of the opinion that for the growth of the church, we actually have not kept growth with our ruling elders, mm. and that the ruling elders are caring for a larger number of congregants, communicant members, than they did 30 years ago. That's a statistic that is not confirmed by a very good statistician, uh, Luke Brown, but it, it is something that I, I, I sense might be happening. We need more ruling elders. We need men to be trained. And we need men to step forward. Oh, that's I, I totally agree. And and since Jack Smith and Charlie were best friends, <laughs> maybe that's how I uh you know that thought was in the back of my mind in regard to what was before you. I know that from my time in the pastorate. There's nothing like having a ruling elder who loves the Lord and is faithful. It is just the greatest encouragement to be joined with a brother like that. And so I believe that I can speak for the the ministers on the Christian Education Committee. We all feel that, and that's why we're trying to think of ways in which we can help ruling elders. And uh, so this a podcast uh, is something that we're going to attempt, and we'll see what comes of it. But I'm, I'm so very thankful, David, that you've taken the time to share today, and it's just been wonderful reminiscing on on how the Lord has used you uh, in service of His His Church and Kingdom. Well, Danny, thank you for inviting me. I want to tell you that our session meeting last night, we asked our pastor to answer these two questions: How can we, as ruling elders, serve better in our ministry to this congregation? And how can we assist you personally in your ministry? I hope that those sorts of questions will be answered in future podcasts. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Thanks so much, David. Okay. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening to this podcast. 
every blessing in the Lord Jesus. 